Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad, rubber-coated hardware for a better fit, and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. The Motor Racing Network presents an MRN original podcast series. Have a look at Jeff Gordon. He's starting to close the gap. Jeff Gordon, the colorful career of the Rainbow Warrior. I don't look at him, at him as grown-ups when I'm out there. I just look at him as competitors. What a big day for young Jeff Gordon and the Bill Davis Racing Team. This is uh, the biggest dream come true for me ever. Jeff Gordon is leader. Earnhardt is second. Sorry, bud, but Jeff Gordon, he's just a better driver than you are. Jeff Gordon holds off a last lap charge by... By Jeff Burton and wins the Winston Million. He won those championships. He revolutionized the sport. They're side by side on corner number four. Gordon leans on Jimmy Johnson coming down to the line. People can see there definitely was a change in our relationship. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, here's your host, Brian Nelson. Welcome back to MRN Presents Jeff Gordon, the colorful career of the Rainbow Warrior. I'm Brian Nelson. As the 1980s came to a close, 18-year-old Jeff Gordon thought his dream of moving from USAC to IndyCar would be a reality. He was dominating the short tracks and caught the attention of ESPN's Larry Newber, the voice of Thursday Night Thunder. Newber attempted to get Gordon in the door with some IndyCar teams, but was shut out repeatedly. The teams weren't looking for an American dirt track racer. They wanted drivers who came with money. But Newber had another idea. He had some connections in NASCAR and proposed a TV shoot at the track in Rockingham, North Carolina. Jeff, driving a Buck Baker Driving School stock car, would try his hand at stock car racing. I went down to Buck Baker Driving School, which again, Larry Newber helped set up. We took some ESPN cameras uh, down and and film some of it and then put it on TV. So some somewhat of a of a swap out, I guess you could say, for the school and some promotion for Buck. His talents were obvious, and Jeff was introduced to Hugh Connerty, a team owner in the NASCAR Bush series. You know, Hugh was a businessman. He wasn't really a guy pursuing racing, but he you know, he liked cars, liked to go fast, and he was thinking about maybe going out there and competing himself. And so he was driving around there. So Buck came over and said, hey, you know, Hugh would be interested in letting you drive his car if you're interested. Said, Absolutely. Hugh used his connections to find Jeff a crew chief. He reached out to his father-in-law, Leo Jackson, another NASCAR team owner, who reached out to crew chief Andy Petrie, who knew Ray Evernham. I guess the first time we met really was at a hotel the night before a test. Uh, we were going to test Charlotte um, with, uh, with a Bush Grand National car. So we met. I was super impressed with him for uh, as young as he was and his uh, ability, you know, really to communicate, talk about cars and stuff uh, and the things that he'd done. I think that was largely because of all the experience he had in the sprints and midgets. But we hit it off immediately. You know, I just liked him. You know, he, he had great personality, but he was really into his description of what he was doing. And he was really excited uh, about the, the test the next day at Charlotte. The number 67 white Outback Steakhouse car was scheduled to run three races in 1990. 
Gordon didn't qualify for the first in Charlotte, but he started out strong for the second race at Rockingham after qualifying second. Some strange qualifying here at North Carolina Motor Speedway yesterday for the Bush Grand National Division. A couple of drivers up on the front row that was completely a total surprise. Dave Mater III grabbed off the pole, and a young driver who was only 19 years old, Jeff Gordon, and has not competed in any events here at the North Carolina Motor Speedway, picked up the outside pole. Jeff's NASCAR debut was cut short at lap 33. Rumble down the back straightaway. Two cars get together. Dale Earnhardt involved, but he continues on. Jeff Gordon, the front row uh, outside pole sitter, gets right up against the outside retaining wall, and getting on the binders to miss everything is Jeff Burton. The last event of that three-race deal was at Martinsville Speedway, but the engine blew up before Jeff even got a chance to hit the track. Connerty, the owner, had hopes of getting a full season together for 1991, but a lack of funding caused that dream to collapse, and Jeff was out of a ride. He was told to call the director of Ford Performance about an opportunity for 1991 and was hired by Bill Davis to run the number one Carolina Ford dealer's car full-time. He wanted to come to NASCAR and, you know, had a guy down here shopping around for him and, and nobody would buy it. Chevrolet wasn't interested, you know, none of that. But Ford was. And Mark wanted to focus on Jack Roush's deal, the six car. You know, because they were knocking right at a championship every year back then and couldn't get it done and thought maybe that was a move for him. Plus, he wanted to push me into coming to North Carolina racing. You know, I was still doing part-time at Arkansas, a trucking company. Uh, he really wanted me to come race, and, and, and he, 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 he could see where NASCAR was headed. You know, it was just as things started to really just explode and wanted me to be a part of it. Fortunately, and he saw Jeff somebody that could do that. Jeff failed to qualify for the first race of the 91 season at Daytona, and he didn't score a victory that year, but he did earn five top five finishes and the 1991 Bush Series Rookie of the Year Award. 1992 got off to a much better start with a new sponsor in Baby Ruth Candy Bars and with a victory four races in. We're sailing ahead for Jeff Gordon. He rolls off into the banking of turn three. Everything's fine. Harry Gant has taken over the second spot now, rather, from Hunt Strickland. The battle is for fourth as Davey Allison tries to keep the high-sided Morgan Shepard. In only his 35th start, Jeff Gordon of Pittsburgh, Indiana, takes the checkered flag and wins the Atlanta 300. I'm absolutely speechless. I mean, I... This is a dream come true. These guys right here, this Baby Ruth crew, they did it all. I mean, we, we got behind, we, we ran out of gas, and we got behind. And I tell you, these guys really made up in the pits. The car was perfect all day long. And, and I just, man, I just, <laughs> I can't say enough. <laughs> this, this is, this is a, the biggest dream come true for me ever, and I'm thrilled to death huge moment for me, a very emotional it's similar to 94, you know I, I, when I won my first cup race at, at Charlotte, it's just, you know, I, I wanted it so bad, and and when, when, once I set my mind on something and started pursuing it, I was just giving it everything that I had, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I wanted to achieve it so badly that when it did come, it was overwhelming to me, and, and it meant a ton and and you know i know what it meant to the team the people that worked on the car it, you know it, it just it instantly just links you together with with this group and and builds confidence and so i didn't know all the rick hendrick things you know at that time right all i knew was um we'd been working for the last year to uh to to, to try to win a race 
and and now we finally did it and and we did it in, in strong you know fashion or style because we sat on the pole uh, against Mark Martin and Dale Earnhardt and Bill Elliott. I mean, it, like the who's who of, of Cup was in that race, and uh, and I had to mix it up with them a good bit. And then you know we had a fast race car. We went and won the race. It was a big deal. Bill Davis also hired a familiar face to join the team, Crew Chief Ray Evernham. Something Jeff had pushed for. Ray was really the first guy that I came across that was just totally organized. You know, car on the scale, heights. You know, string in the car, just really detailed on everything about that car, uh, and and so, you know, I, I was impressed with that. But also, he was a driver. You know, he he drove himself. So when I would talk to him, he understood me. Where most of the guys that I had talked to in the past, they they, they knew how to set up a car, but they didn't also drive it. And so we had instant chemistry. And and when you know, I'd really worked for the next. Uh, year trying to get Ray to be my crew chief at Bill Davis and Ray wasn't available he was doing some other things and he went to work for Alan Kowicki and and so we got down to Daytona in 1992 and Alan and and Ray had a falling out I think a pretty big fight (laughs) and Ray was walking out of the track and I said, and I happened to come across him. I said, "Hey, where are you going?" He goes, "Oh yeah, I'm done. I'm I'm done with them. We're I'm I'm out." And I was like, "Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't leave yet." And uh, I, you know, I immediately got Bill Davis and him together. And I said, "Man, we need to hire this guy. This guy is incredible." And we did. And I mean, we won 11 poles in three races that year. And he left halfway through the year. Ray was thrilled and knew as well as Jeff that their chemistry was something special. It was. Bill Davis's. We had so much fun there at, at Bill Davis's. Um, Bill's a really, really good guy, and he was just kind of let us do our own thing. And it was between, you know, Jeff Gordon and Keith Simmons and and myself. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a, a good time. We didn't know how much we didn't know. We were still all pretty innocent. Those guys had learned a lot from Mark Martin. There's no doubt about that. But we still shared the shop with Mark, but we were doing things a little bit different than, than they did. And Bill, you know, Bill stood behind us. But it was, uh, it was a great confidence builder. You know, I had gone to Cup and, and kind of almost if you would say didn't make it. You know, uh, you know whether Kowicki fired me or I quit. You know, I'd still be determined who you talk to. But uh, the, the we went home. Uh, Jeff and I were able to build on, on that relationship and really, really get to work. We only ran three races, I think, together in '90. But we went for Bill at Bill Davis's. We I think we really solidified as a team and got a lot of confidence. Jeff won three races into 1992. But his time in NASCAR's second-tier series would be coming to an end. Rick Hendrick was one of several Cup Series team owners that were impressed with Jeff's talent. And he made it known that he wanted Jeff in the Cup Series driving for him. In May of 1992, Jeff signed on with Hendrick Motorsports, crushing Bill Davis's own hopes of taking Jeff to NASCAR's top series. At the time, in the middle of the 1992 season, we were nowhere even close to being ready to do that. And Ray just went and visited Hendrick Motorsports and said, oh, they're ready. <laughs> they can pull it off. Um, but, yeah, we were visiting a sponsor um, that that um, Bill was trying to get. us back. Actually, it was Target. We were up in Chicago. It was Target. And I left the meeting as, okay, this is all new to them. There's really no chance of this, of this happening. Um but we'll see where it goes. Bill left it all excited going, this is going to happen. So 
so we were just on a different path um, and, and different mindset at that time. So I, you know, then I told him the news of what I was planning to do, and it just crushed him. You know, it absolutely crushed him. I don't know if there was any way it was not going to, but uh, certainly at that time it was, it was bad. So I wish I could have gone about that differently, but at the same time, I mean, my move to Hendrick was absolutely the best thing that ever happened to me in my career. Jeff remained with Bill Davis Racing through the end of the 92 Bush Series season, winning three races and finishing fourth in the championship run. His new Cup Series team owner, Rick Hendrick, said noticing Jeff and signing him to join Hendrick Motorsports defied the odds and must have been meant to be. It was at Atlanta when he was running the, the Babe Ruth car. And uh, I never go to a suite. Never. And I, I don't usually go on Saturday. And uh, and that's probably the only track that had a pedestrian tunnel. So it, it was just meant to be. So I'm walking through the tunnel, coming to a suite. And I see this guy come. I'm, I'm right on the fence, so I see him go in the corner and turn one. And I thought he kind of maybe blown the motor but it was tire, a little tire haze and so i don't remember who was even with me and i said watch this he's gonna he's gonna bust his butt and so uh he made this daring move and and i just i said who is that who is that is that's that gordon kid uh you know from thursday night thunder i think it was and i said man the kid's got some talent and um so I couldn't quit thinking about it, and I went back, and, you know, just things happened to happen the way they did. I walk into motorsports, which I don't normally go over there the first part of the week, and Jimmy Johnson, the guy that, the old Jimmy Johnson that ran the place, was sitting there, and Andy Graves, and I said, um, man, that Gordon kid, he's awful good. I, it's a shame he's got a deal with Ford, and they said, Andy said, well, he doesn't have a deal. He's going have a contract. <laughs> I said, well, tell him I'd love to talk to him. And so it's just amazing the turn of events that put us together. And uh, and I was just so impressed with him. We didn't have a sponsor. No one ever hired anybody that young to put him in the Cup Series. But I just thought, man, this his car control, good looking, and, uh, you know, reputation in sprint cars. I want to give this a try. Jeff Gordon made his NASCAR Cup Series debut on November 15, 1992 at Atlanta Motor Speedway. In a passing of the torch moment, Gordon's first race was Richard Petty's last. He crashed halfway through the event, but remembers the day with fondness. You know, just my inexperience got the best of me of, of uh, getting loose and backing in the wall, which is now three and four, was back then one and two. Uh, certainly remember the driver's meeting being very different even to this day you know just there was a different type of driver's meeting that I'm, I'm very proud that I was able to be a part of because you know here's a legend of our our sport that will never be top I mean nobody's ever going to win 200 races uh, and and yet you know I was able to to be a part of uh, you know a fairly intimate setting and and hear him speak at that driver's meeting of, of what his career meant to him and how much he appreciated, you know, so many things and, and the fans and the competitors. And um, that was very, very cool to, to be a part of that. So I certainly remember that. But, uh, you know, I also remember my day not ending too well. As Jeff was getting his Cup Series career started, the racing world he had come from was also seeing changes. 
Jeff's jump from the Indiana sprint car scene to Carolina stock car racing opened the eyes of many NASCAR team owners, many of which scouted for new talent by tuning into ESPN's Thursday Night Thunder. ESPN's Dave Despain anchored much of that sprint car coverage. When I started, it was Thursday and later moved to Saturday. And when it was on Saturday, we would, you know, find out through various uh, channels that all the NASCAR car owners were watching. Not some of the car owners, all of the car owners, because they were wanting to know who was going to be the next Jeff Gordon. Um, And that's where they went to find out. At the dawn of the 1993 season, Jeff Gordon was a full-time Cup Series driver. He and crew chief Ray Evernham didn't waste any time showing they belonged as they won their twin 125 qualifying race for the Daytona 500. And halfway down the back straightaway already for the leaders, Jeff Gordon protects the inside. Elliott looks outside, can't make it, make it happen. Now looks inside. Kyle Petty will try and challenge Elliott. Chevrolet, Ford in the Pontiac. Kyle Petty tucks it down to the inside, gets way low, and now drifts up the banking. Ken Schrader looks to the inside for third, but everybody holds their position off turn four. Kyle Petty swung up just a little bit in the corner, hoping to get a run off that turn. Won't be able to do it. Jeff Gordon's going to hold him off and win the first of the qualifying races. Bill Elliott will finish second. Kyle Petty third. It's as unbelievable to me as it is anybody else at this speedway today. Uh, you know, this is far from our expectations. Uh, I, one real quick thing I just want to say back home. Hi to Pop uh, Hendrick. He, he's a great guy. We miss him. We miss him here in Victory Circle. But this is the greatest. This DuPont automotive finishes car was unbelievable today. And, and I really didn't think I'd win. I thought we'd go down that back straightaway and Bill had me. I, I had to do a little bit of blocking, but it worked. Jeff would go on to finish fifth in the 500, which pleased Everham. Our first Daytona um, 500, we won the 125, and uh, we ran the top five in the race. I think if we had more experience as a team and as a driver, we actually had a shot to win that race. Uh, you know, everything works out. It's still certainly a great part of NASCAR history with Dale Jarrett winning it, but that we chose to follow Earnhardt. So if we had to follow Earnhardt and then pass Earnhardt at the end there, and, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff learned a lot that day. And then we struggled as rookies do. You know, I made some mistakes. He made some mistakes. We crashed some cars. We did we did some things. But again, you know, if you look at the speed that we had, it was it, it got a lot of people's attention because we were, we were fast, but we, we either just made bad strategy calls or wrecked cars. Jeff knew he was in the right place with Hendrick Motorsports, and he believed his strong Daytona debut established the 24 team as a front runner. Hendrick, I learned right away just how much they put into their, their engine program, um, their restrictor plate program, you know, aerodynamics and wind tunnel testing, all those things. And I mean, we get to Daytona, and I've just got a blinding fast race car, and now it's on. And it's, it, it, and it's, you know, it's on at the biggest event of the year, the first race of the year, and up against the best in the business. And, you know, that to me was, was exciting. I mean, I... Uh, I knew I had a good race car, but we went into to the, the 125s, the duels now, and I, I don't remember where we qualified. We didn't qualify in the front row, but we were maybe third or fifth or something. We had a you know, good car start up front in our duel, and, and I passed Bill Elliott in the closing laps to win it. And I think that was the first time where I thought, wow, you know, we've really got something good here. And I think it definitely sent out a message to the rest of the garage of, man, this kid's for real. While the number 24 was fast and Jeff showed certain potential, he didn't score a win that season, despite seven top 10 finishes.
Just as he did in 93, Jeff was strong in the 1994 Daytona 500, finishing fourth. But it wouldn't be until May's Coca-Cola 600 that Jeff would come out on top, as heard on the Performance Racing Network. Jeff Gordon, for hopefully the next to the last time, will come and take a look at the white flag in the Coca-Cola 600. Gingerly, he takes it through the double dog leg and into the turn one area for the last time. You can see the flashbulb popping all the way around the Charlotte Motor Speedway and through the 24 degree banking and moving around Sterling Marlin is Jeff Gordon. Sterling Marlin down low, Jeff Gordon up high. He's making it through for the final time. He gets around the Marlin automobile. He's going to be working up on Jimmy Spencer as they come into turn four. Spencer stays down low, Jeff Gordon to the high side. Jeff Gordon out of turn number four, following Jimmy Spencer. He will lay claim to his first ever Winston Cup victory, and it comes in the Coca-Cola 600. Crew Chief Ray Evernham said Jeff's first Cup Series win was a long time coming. I finally, I felt really happy because I had felt truthfully that Jeff was progressing faster than the team and I, and we had let him down in some areas, not giving him good enough cars or or helping him learn quick enough. So some of our inexperience maybe was holding him back. And I felt like we finally arrived. You know, we had a great pick crew. We had a, we called some great strategy. We had a great car all weekend. Not a winning car, but and, but we won with it. And uh, you know, because Rusty and, and Bodine, a couple of guys, were beating us. And, and to, to feel like, okay, we finally arrived as a team and we're here now and they can never take this away from us. This is something that we've done together because uh, you got to remember, we never even ran a cup race till November of 92. And now we, you know, in just, uh, you know, 42 races or whatever you said, we, we'd won the biggest longest one that they have after that first cup victory things really started to click jeff and ray's chemistry was working and on the track gordon was surging to the top he scored another big win that summer his first brickyard 400 at indianapolis covered by ims radio network the white flag comes out for jeff gordon as the back end slipped a little bit as he came off a of turn four he made maintains that nine-tenth second of a lead over brett bodine going into turn one he is safely through one. He's into that short shoot. Jeff Gordon may be on his way to racing history. It's his to win a second advantage over Brett Bodine as they work off the second quarter the last time down this long five inch mile back straight away. A half lap to go for 23-year-old Jeff Gordon. Gordon just two turns to go and part of a straightaway, and he'll win the inaugural Brickyard 400, about a 15-car length advantage on Bodine through three. You don't suppose he's singing back home again in Indiana, do you? Jeff Gordon off turn four. He's just got the one turn to negotiate, to fight off everybody. The crowd roaring. They're on the feet to call the finish of the Brickyard 400. Here's Mike Joy. Brett Bodine closes in, but the youngest driver in the field shall lead them home. Jeff Gordon of Pittsburgh, Indiana upholds the honor of the Hoosier State and wins the inaugural Brickyard 400 for his second career Winston Cup victory. If I looked at you know my NASCAR career, the one thing that, that, that really launched things to another level were the inaugural Brickyard 400, which was probably a global event in many ways because it's so historical. Um, and got a lot of attention. That certainly helped. And then the next year, 95, battling against Dale Earnhardt Sr. for the championship. When you, I mean, nobody really went up against him and won, and, and, and so we did. And um, that built a, a fan base. It built a rivalry. It, it opened up doors for opportunities from a marketing standpoint, um, branding. 
and and luckily you know that continued on with a lot of dominance and um, over the next four five six years it was a home track win for the kid something Ray Everham said the team expected. I want to look back on it now. I, I think it, it was as a team. We didn't think about that then because, again, we had that, well, hey, we're supposed to win. It's Indianapolis. It's Jeff. It's the first thing we felt like we had. Uh, I don't want to say we had an advantage, but we were not at a disadvantage because nobody had a nobody had a notebook on that race. We didn't give up years of experience. Everything was new. It was a different track different style of track that NASCAR had been since they'd been to Ontario, I guess, years ago. But we were on equal ground for the first time with other drivers and crew chiefs as far as notes and and history. And that day, I think we had a a really, really good team day. And that race gave us the confidence to go toe-to-toe with Dale Earnhardt in 95. As the 94 season came to a close, Jeff finished with two wins, seven top fives, and 14 top 10 finishes. He was improving with every race, but had no idea what the next five years would do for his career. Nineteen ninety-five was a breakout season for the number twenty-four team. Jeff Gordon collected three wins in the first month and a half of the season. If he wasn't winning, he was finishing in the top five. And the hot NASCAR topic at the track was a budding rivalry with the sport's biggest star, Dale Earnhardt. Dale, a seven-time Cup Series champion, had ruled the sport. So the emergence of Gordon, a twenty-four-year-old kid, was hard to swallow. Fans of the Intimidator booed Jeff. His mom, Carol Bickford, remembers the moment she realized her son was getting negative attention. I didn't really start realizing it until the Earnhardt-Gordon uh, thing really came up. And you could see when, when I went to a stock car race, you could see all this group of reporters and everybody following, and you knew that that was Earnhardt. And then all of a sudden... There was this, it was a smaller group, but it was still a big group of, of reporters and stuff. And you see, and Earnhardt was over here, so who are they following? And it was Jeff. And I'm going like, wow, you know, well, he had just gotten a poll or, you know, something had happened. Um, and I think that's when I really, really realized that, you know, this was really happening and it was really bigger than I thought it was. Um, it was to, to see that and then to see the, uh, the fans when they would introduce Earnhardt, it would be so many um, applause and yelling and everything. And then when they would introduce Jeff, the booze was, <laughs> I'm going like, okay, after a few times, then you knew, oh, they must have just introduced Jeff. You weren't in the stands, so you really didn't know. You were you kind of isolated in the infield. Um, and to see that transition into what it turned out to be, because then it would be Gordon's fans got to be very big, and they were trying to drown out the booze from the Earnhardt fans, and it was really pretty cool to be a part of As Jeff kept winning, unintimidated by Earnhardt the Intimidator, the booze intensified. Rick Hendrick reminded Jeff that the reaction from Earnhardt's faithful came only because Jeff was winning. I told him, you know, when you start, you got to go back and look at when you came on board, everybody cheered you, 
you're the young guy, you're the young gun, you know, everybody pull for you. But when you start beating uh, the, the guy that's owned it, you know, <laughs> the Intimidator, and the other guys, and all of a sudden all the other fans, other than your fans, are, are on you. And, um, you know, he, uh, I said, it happens, you know, all the time. I said, you got to listen to the booze that Earnhardt gets, too. But, you know, you, his crowd over, would override your crowd. But, uh, no, I, I just said, hey, man, winners, you want to get that. If you win a lot, that's going to happen. But you, when you're winning championships and you're winning races and you won more races than any, anyone, I mean, it just comes with the territory. Soon there were accusations that the number 24 team must be cheating. Crew chief Ray Everham now laughs about it, but at the time, even NASCAR officials seemed to buy into the cheating rumors. It's kind of funny, you know, people say, man, they've got some... I remember they, they, at one time they thought I had some tricks in my radio that I could, like, change tire pressures or adjust uh, traction control and things. And, and, they, and actually, at one point, NASCAR sent this guy into my pits with, like, this satellite-looking dish, and he's pointing all around. I was like, really, dude? You know, really? But it's hard to, to point the competition, you know, when you're talking to your owner or to your team and go, those guys are just outworking us. Those guys are just smarter than us. Sorry, bud, but Jeff Gordon, he's just a better driver than you are. It's hard to say those things, so sometimes it's, it's easy to point to uh, to somebody cheating or somebody getting an advantage, uh, and I think it's like that on all sports. Carol Bickford knew the booing was hard for Jeff to hear, especially after he had been enthusiastically embraced as a rising star. But she also knew that Jeff understood what the jeers meant for his career. Well, obviously, you know, there's that. You you always think, well, why are you know why are they doing that? But I'll tell you, I remember Jeff saying uh, when we were running sprint cars years before that. Uh, I think we were standing on the trailer, on the top of the trailer at Bloomington Speedway, and they introduced Steve Kinzer, and they booed. And he's from Bloomington. You know? <laughs> like, why are they booing Steve Kinzer? And Jeff says, I don't know why they are, but he's the best, and if I can get booed like that sometime, I'll be really happy. When the Cup Series returned to Daytona in July for the Pepsi 400, Jeff dominated the race and passed Earnhardt in points for the first time that season. Jeff Gordon is leader, Earnhardt is second, and Sterling Marlin hangs in there in third. They still stay in line all the way to turn one. Gordon gets a one-car length lead on the battle for second. It's Marlin going to the inside of Earnhardt. Earnhardt slams down the inside lane. Now Trickle's going to kind of come back at Sterling Marlin. Up front, though, it's Jeff Gordon leading. Second is Earnhardt. Third is Marlin. Marlin had to check up. That may finish his chance. Here they come down the back straightaway. Half a lap to go. One car scuffs the wall. The field scatters. Everybody keeps it straight. Earnhardt tries to go to the inside. Marlin makes a run on him. Put Marlin on a drag race with Earnhardt for second. Marlin up to the top of the banking. He'll grab the second position, but not for long. Here comes Dale Earnhardt. But as those two men scramble side by side, Jeff Gordon races back to the checkered flag. Gordon pulls away by a car length and a half, maybe two. They'll scramble behind him. Earnhardt looks to the inside of Marlin. Jeff Gordon wins for the fourth time this year. Second place goes to Marlin by a foot and a half over Dale Earnhardt, who'll come home in third spot. What can you do to a guy like Earnhardt at a track like this to get the start on the when they drop the green flag like that? Well, if I told you that, then uh, <laughs> I might not get it the next time, but 
he's very good. Uh, you know, he uh, he hangs back a little bit, but I didn't let him hang back, and he was right on my bumper when we took off. And then I don't know if uh, he kind of slowed down, but uh, you know, he tried to get another run at me, and and uh, I kind of checked up to get him right back on my bumper. And then when Sterling started playing with him, uh, I knew uh, I knew we had it. Uh, you know, I, I just going into three when they got side by side. I said, man, we got it right here. All I got to do bring this baby home. That's what they told me to do. The number 24 landed in victory lane at another historic track later in 1995, Darlington. Jeff Gordon is a leader. Earnhardt rides second. Wallace is third. They're in turn one. Gordon will have some traffic to deal with on this very last lap. The first car is Rick Mast. Mast pulls over, lets him flash by to the outside. Gordon, for the last time, is off turn two. Here comes Gordon off the corner. Now Earnhardt is off the corner. Wallace moves off the corner. All three setting up for the entrance into turn number three. Jeff Gordon is on his way for the checkered. They'll deal with the lap car of Terry Labonte in turn number four. Gordon comes back to the stripe. Win number six of the year and his first win at Darlington. Earnhardt is second. Uh, man, you know, this, this is a real big win for, for this team in Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, you know, everybody knows the history behind this racetrack, you know, and the win here. Man, I tell you, this is one of the greatest accomplishments uh, that this team and myself have ever been a part of. And we had to do it in style. I mean, man, we had to come back from a lot of things. Uh, this, this team today was you know, they, they were unbelievable. The, the, the stops that they had, the changes they had to make under caution to get us back up there, you know, God was on our side, that's for sure, because uh, we could have got caught up in, in many, many accidents out there. So uh, he's definitely with me and this team right now out there on the racetrack. By the conclusion of the 1995 season in Atlanta, Jeff Gordon won his first championship. Though so Dale Earnhardt will do what he had to do. He will win the Napa 500 while Jeff Gordon grabs the 1995 NASCAR Winston Cup Championship here at the Atlanta Motor Speedway. NASCAR Winston Cup Champion. Congratulations. How does that sound to you? Oh, man, that's got a great tune to it. Uh, wasn't a great day, but it's been a great year. And, uh, you know, this is uh, this is not the way we wanted to end it, but we did want to end it as a champion. We did that, and yeah, I'm just elated. I, I, I tell you, I just I can't believe the magnitude of this sport. And, uh, and, and for me to be a Winston Cup Champion is is more than I even know how to comprehend. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable, and, and I'm so excited that I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say. Uh, and, and I'm trying not to say too much because I, I, feel, I feel the emotions kicking in here pretty quick. It was the first championship for Hendrick Motorsports as well, and Rick Hendrick was understandably emotional. You know, I went to, to New York, and I, and I was in the hotel room, and I decided I'd just call everybody that helped me along the way, you know, uh, you know, Jack Tant, Clayton Mitchell, uh, guys, modified guys, uh, just remember drag racing, all my buddies, and I thought, man, it, it just overwhelmed me. I, I was just really overwhelmed, and uh, and then to watch watch that show and and be a part of it, I, I thought I'd go to New York and watch Richard Childress and Dale Earnhardt win every year every time you know and uh never thought never thought we'd ever win a championship that first championship was a big achievement for the number 24 team and for jeff who had proven he could go head to head with dale earnhardt and come out on top in celebration jeff was invited to appear on the late show with david letterman something he said was not one of his best moments uh, i remember going on david letterman the first time after i won my first championship and i was just so young and naive and i look at that interview and i just go oh my gosh 
what was I thinking? What was I saying? You know, and he was super cool. He was great, but uh, you know, he can he can definitely uh, lead you on a path and let you kind of dig the hole yourself. At the NASCAR Awards banquet, Jeff took the opportunity to thank his team and gave a special shout out to the Intimidator. After Earnhardt's Brickyard 400 win that season, he had told the media he was the first man to win the race after Jeff had won it in 94. But uh, I'll tell you something that's really flattering is the opportunity to come here and to be able to represent a team. Uh, And the team that uh, Rick Hendrick Motorsports has is uh, a lot of guys. But each and every one of those guys uh, are a part of this whole championship and we couldn't have done it without each and every one Rick Hendrick or uh, Ray Evanham talked about 120 people and every one of those guys that's up there that's out there that's up here and even the people that didn't get to make it uh, I tell you uh, it's uh, it's a great pleasure to be a part of the whole team but before I go any further <laughs> um, I'd like to recognize the man who never never let up on his efforts to win his eighth championship. Dale Earnhardt is a true competitor and a great champion. And at this time, I would like to offer a toast to the man. Dale, great effort, man. Here's some milk. Sorry, man, you've been having so much fun with me all year, and I've been straight-faced and all tight. I uh, I had to loosen up a little bit. Uh, hope you didn't mind what I said on uh, Letterman the other day. I didn't mean it. Okay, well, I said it. I guess I did. But anyway, you've done a lot for the sport. We thank you. I'm sure everybody in here appreciates uh, everything you've done. Earnhardt toasted back with champagne, illustrating the bond of friendship Jeff shared with Earnhardt despite their on-track rivalry. In 1995, Jeff Gordon became a NASCAR champion, setting the stage for the rest of his remarkable career. You know, those two wins in 94 were huge, but I think 95, winning the championship in 95, just that putting a complete season together, winning, I think we won seven races, um, becoming a championship-caliber team was was a, a huge defining moment and really sort of set the, the pace for us and myself in this sport for the next, I don't know, 18, 19 years. <laughs> On the next episode of MRN presents Jeff Gordon, the colorful career of the Rainbow Warrior. The dream team of Jeff Gordon and Ray Evernham continued to stack up championships, but a new opportunity for Ray causes the champ to question if he could continue to win. Jeff Gordon's crew now beginning the celebration on pit road. Gordon with his hand out the window, waving to the crowd. The checkered flag and the 500 is over. Jeff Gordon is the winner of the 1997 Daytona 500. Man, we won everything I wanted to win two or three times. I, I don't. I had never really set a goal of being a seven-time or eight-time champion. Never thought about that. I, I always wanted to move to a bigger spot. Until then, I'm Brian Nelson.
From outdoor care to home and auto repair, do it with Craftsman. Find the tools, equipment, and storage you need at your local Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Craftsman.com.